And tonight, what I want us to do is to kick off the sermon series with something that's crucial for you if you're thinking about romance from a biblical perspective. And that is, what in the world we think about this idea of singleness, right? And so let me just talk about that for a little bit. If you don't know my story, I grew up in a non-Christian family. I, I think it's fair to say I grew up in an agnostic atheist family, okay, in Texas, right, which is like... Like, nobody else in Texas is an atheist except for my family, right? Everybody in Texas is either Catholic or Baptist. This is how they roll. Maybe it's a little Church of Christ, right? But in Texas, no, no less. I, I'm in this atheist family, but I'm oblivious to, like, the Christian subculture around me because I, I just don't, I don't go to church. Well, I remember um, when I was in seventh grade, my best friend, he, he said something that was really just kind of jarring to me. Uh, he said, hey, Doug, we're in seventh grade now, so it's time to get a girlfriend. And I was like, like, What? It was like very matter of fact, like you need the new Air Jordan sneakers, you need a girlfriend, like these are just things you have, just accoutrements of middle school life. And so I was like, oh, okay, a girlfriend, man, I haven't thought about this, like what do I need? And so he starts telling me what I need to look for. He's like, you need to find out what you're attracted in and you need to like go for it. And I was like, well, what does it mean to be attracted in something? He's like, what do you think is pretty? I'm like, well, what's pretty? He's like, oh, I can't explain these basic things. These are a priori truths. You should understand this, right? And so I don't understand any of this stuff, so I'm like trying to figure out, okay, there's a girl. Do I like that girl? Am I attracted to her? I don't know. I'm a seventh grader. This is all that's going on. And girls, you should know this, right? This is one of our truth statements. Uh, Girls are smarter than boys, right? And so all the girls in the seventh grade, I'm sure they were looking to the high school, like, football players, and they were like, ugh, forget these middle schoolers. I'm going after the high school guys. But middle school boys were just like, what are girls? Like, what is this, right? So I just remember it was my mission in seventh grade to figure out, like, dating a girl. And, like, I had no idea. So I'm, like, you know, trying, talking to these girls, just doing research. Like, okay, like, have you thought about dating? And, like, what's the deal with this? And girls weren't interested in me because I was a geek. And so I remember in eighth grade, I finally figured something out. So I figured out that, like, there's a basic rhythm to, like, having a girlfriend. Again, I have no context for what this dating thing is. Like, you see a girl and you say, excuse me, would you like to be my girlfriend? And they either say yes or no. Sometimes you would pass a note, because I grew up in the era where you pass notes, and it's like, do you like me? Check yes or no, or heart yes or no, if you want to be bold, right? So sent the note off, and I remember I had my first girlfriend. She had blonde hair, and it was shorter, um, and I was like, cool, I have a girlfriend. Like, I've arrived as a middle schooler. That's what you're supposed to have as a girlfriend. We didn't do anything together. We never went on dates, but she was my girlfriend. And I was like, this is basically what the pattern was. Like, you ask a girl out, she says yes, and you're, she's your girlfriend. And it's over. That's all you're supposed to do is it's just something to have in middle school. You get to high school, there was this new wrinkle that was starting to develop, which is when you had a girlfriend, now you start kissing them, right? And that's how you proved you were ready for high school. So I was like, oh, gosh, now the pressure's on. I got to go, like, figure out how to kiss this girl. I got to do research. So I'm, like, watching movies on how people kiss. Thank, thank the Lord Hitch came out, right? <laughs> so Will Smith could educate me on how to properly kiss, right? And so, like, I'm trying to figure all of this out. Like, I start the kissing thing, and I now know the, the rhythm here, which is you see a girl you like. You ask her to be your girlfriend. Hopefully she says yes. You start kissing. And then I got into this really weird situation, even as a non-Christian. We would get to this point where there was like kissing and holding and hugging and then laying down and kissing, right? And then the girls started wanting to have sex. Well, even as an atheist, right, I knew like you shouldn't have sex until you get married. I don't know why. I just was like, it seems like you should maybe be in a little bit more of a stable relationship before all of that takes place, right? So that was a new kind of 
wrinkle in the pattern. It was you like a girl, you ask her out, she says yes, she's your girlfriend, you start kissing, and then they want to start having sex, and I break up with them. And I thought this was just the cycle I was going to be in, you know, until maybe I got married and maybe longer. And so that was me, every girlfriend I had at that point. And I had like a lot of them. Like I, I did the math the other day, with, like I was telling my wife, I was like, hey, like I'm just going to like tell you how many girls I dated in high school. I thought this was a good idea. Again, girls are smarter than boys, right? <laughs> The, the corollary to that is boys are dumber than girls, okay? I'm just a dumb boy. And so I'm like, man, I had like 25 girlfriends in high school. Like it was just bananas. Now, again, these are like relatively short relationships, right? So, so this was my pattern. This is my pattern. Well, sophomore year of high school, I got saved. Like I came to believe in Jesus. I heard the gospel. I believed in Jesus. He radically transformed my life. He put the Holy Spirit inside of me and started convicting me about how I live my life. And so I remember I was like, oh, I'm going to go make out with my girlfriend. And I just hear Jesus going, eh, that might not be such a wise idea. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, I shouldn't do that. Okay, cool. And that wasn't like, oh, Jesus, I shouldn't do that. Like I'm taking his name in vain. More like, oh, Jesus, I love you. I shouldn't do that, right? And so this was the new thing. I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know how Christians do this whole dating thing, right? And so I remember I was going to like all of my Christian mentors at the time going like, how do you, how do, you do dating, right? Like how does this all work? And one of my mentors just said this. He goes, hey, Doug. Um, as a Christian, you maybe ought to think about dating only Christian girls. Like, stop dating non-Christian girls. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, there was a whiteboard situation where he was, like, connecting dots. And I was like, I see where this is going. Okay, okay, I see the logic here. Well, that was, that was radical for me. That was my senior year of high school. I was like, oh, man. So, like, I swore off dating. And I was like, man, no dating, right? Freshman year of college, no dating. I, like, didn't shave, I didn't shower, I didn't change my clothes. I was like the smelly homeless person in college, ensuring that no girl would come near me because when you're this good looking, right, you just gotta keep the girls away, right? So that was my whole strategy, right? Just trying to figure all this out. But meanwhile, the whole time I'm having these conversations about Christianity and kind of the romantic life. And I'm asking him like for advice. Hey, tell me about Christianity, love, sex, and dating. I understand non-Christian love, sex, and dating. And here's non-Christian love, sex, and dating, kind of what I was raised in. And that's this. The single life is the preferable life because you're unattached, because you're an individual and you can do more. You don't want anything holding you down. So you just have one-night stands, occasionally have a longer romantic sexual relationship, but as soon as it gets too like, binding on your life, you get rid of it and you move along. And we live in this world where there's free sex and free love, so just Swing around, do what you want, but you are this individual in life. I understood that. But now I'm a Christian, and I'm like, oh, is this the same thing? Like this, okay, how do I process this in light of Scripture? And here's what a lot of my Christian mentors said to me. And again, I love these people, but here's what they said. They basically were like, Doug, listen, there are all these milestones in life if you're a Christian. And I was like, okay, milestones, check. Like, number one, you believe in Jesus, check, okay. Number two, you buy a Bible, Okay, got a Bible, cool. Number three, you start having a quiet time every day. Okay, quiet time, right? Number four, you go to church every Sunday. All right, cool, got that. Number five, you tell your testimony to people. Okay, got that down. Number six, you get married. And I was like, what? You get married? Like, where did, like, oh, yeah, marriage. Because if you're a true Christian, you got to get married. I was like, wait, is there, like, no room for the single life? Single life? No, only for the Christians who have a lot of problems, right? The good Christians who are really loving Jesus and following, they get married, and they have babies, right? You get married, you make babies, you take those babies to church, you dedicate them like in a Lion King-type moment in front of the church, (laughs) 
right? Right? This is what happens. This is the milestone, Doug. You don't deviate from this plan. And so I remember walking away from these conversations like there is no room in the Christian life for singleness. Like as soon as you can, you got you to gotta find a mate and get married. And it was this new formula. And the university I went to, Baylor University, there are girls, and my wife is one of them, who went to Baylor and they said, and I quote, I'm looking for my MRS degree. Like, I want to ring by spring, right? I want to be a missus. And so like these girls, when I was at Baylor, they would be like, hey, Doug, like, so uh, do you want to go out for coffee? Like, if you asked me out, I'd say yes. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Well, like, but why? Like, why would you say yes? Like, you see me, I don't, I don't shower and shave. Like, I'm a gross man. Like, why? And they'd be like, well, if, if I don't start dating now, then I can't get engaged in the spring and married in the summer. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like Christians. Like, Christians are serious about this getting married. They love Jesus and they love marriage. Like, all the girls at the time, this was pre-Pinterest, Pinterest, right? All the girls had, like, these bridal magazines. And they would, like, sit in coffee shops and they'd be like, when I get married, I want, I want a chopa at the front, right? Like a Jewish ceremony. And so we can have that and I can have the white dress. Oh, I want an A-frame dress. Oh, that's really cool, right? And, like, all this stuff and you're like, what, like... Like, it was just this weird thing. And so I remember I dated my wife, and there was, like, this timetable that started, right? Like, like okay, we're, we're engaged now. We're sophomores. Junior year, you, I mean, sorry, we're, we're dating now. We're sophomores. Junior year, you get engaged. Senior year, you're, in, you know, you're engaged, and you get married, and that starts at 22. You're going, right? There's no space at all for being single, because if you're single and you're a Christian, you've messed up, right? You're, you've sinned against the Lord, and you're not following Jesus, somehow you're grieving the Holy Spirit in your singleness. And so like, it, you know, I can just imagine in these worship services, at least I thought at the time, there'd be like response time and people would come down and be like, listen, I've been sinning. Like, oh man, what's going on? I'm single. Oh, let me cast that out of you. Oh, singleness, right? And it, this was just the context I went in and I was like, man, this is so crazy. And, 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 it, and it just seemed intuitively like something's off here, like I don't think this is the whole picture. As, as much as I loved all of these Christian mentors and this Christian culture that I find myself in, something was off with the whole singleness, marriage thing. Especially when you think about these facts right here. Think, look at these facts that are on your screen. If you guys have handouts, feel free to, to fill them in or to use them and to, to build a fire later if your, your heat goes out and it's a cold, you know, snowy day. You, you do you, okay? Look at, look at these facts. Number one, everyone is born single. Everyone is born single. Everyone, 100% of human beings. There has never been anything in the human record of a baby who came out and the doctor looked at the baby and said, congratulations, it's a spouse, right? <laughs> we can tell, we were looking inside the cavity there, we could tell he had a tux on, right? Sorry, he got lodged in the birth canal. It was the wedding band keeping him from going through, right? No babies are born married. Everyone's born single, right? Look at this next fact. Half of marriages in the U.S. end with, with both individuals returning to singlehood. Okay? Half of the marriages in the U.S. end in divorce currently, meaning people who are married are now single again. The other half, the other half of people who make it all the way in marriage till one of them dies, right, and goes in the grave, the other half, all, so all the rest of marriages, at some point, one of the persons in that marriage become single again at widowhood. Which means this, in our lives as human beings, we are all going to experience singleness. Okay? It's going to be a predominant theme of every human being 
on the planet. And with that being so common and so prevalent, I have to ask, especially in light of Christian culture and pagan culture that I grew up in, like, what is this relationship, therefore, between singleness and marriage? And that's the question I want to address today. What is the relationship between singleness and marriage? Specifically, what does the Bible say about singleness? Does it have anything to say and does it have any kind of impact on our lives? Before we trot down too far, this, uh, for, too far down this pathway and start getting into this talk about marriage and dating and all these other things that we want to talk about, romance, I want to make sure we ground this conversation in the biblical ideal of singleness. That's where we're going today. And before we jump in there, I want to invite you to pray with me that Jesus would teach us. Jesus, thank you for what you want to say. Thank you for your teaching on singleness. Thank you for Paul's teaching on singleness. Thank you for the biblical picture of singleness. And while we thank you for the the picture on marriage, we we thank you even more today for this this lifestyle you call singleness. And pray that you would help us to embrace it, that you would grow us in Christ uh, through an understanding of it. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. I want you to consider some biblical facts here, okay? We're going to look at two passages just briefly to kind of draw up a big picture of singleness. The first big fact that you guys got to understand from Scripture. So we've looked at just some common sense facts, but here's some more biblical facts is this. The biblical facts are, the biblical case is this. Number one, Jesus was single for his whole life, his entire life. Jesus was single his entire life. And so was Paul. So just, just think about this. Jesus, if you're a Christian Christ follower who's here today, right? Jesus, who you invited into your heart, who you invited into your life. Jesus, who you believe in and confess the resurrection, right? That Jesus, God who came down from heaven and lived as a human being, came down from heaven and lived as a single human being for his entire life. So singleness was good enough for the God of the universe. And then Jesus died and went to heaven. His entire life, and now is eternally single, okay? And the predominant writer of the New Testament, Paul, was single. So maybe the two most important figures in the New Testament are single. The the majority of the writing of the New Testament was done by single people, okay? Again, I think there's a conversation to be had about marriage, but can we just stop for a moment here tonight and just say, most of the New Testament is a single perspective articulation of the Christian faith. It may not even be too far to say that the Christian faith is predominantly a single faith. Okay? It's, a, it's a faith of single people. At least the ideas of it are the ideas of single people. Okay? Just Again, just want to put that out there. Look at this next thing. So I'm going to look at what Jesus says about this. I'm going to look at what Paul says about this again because they wrote most of the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 30, if you have this in your Bibles or in your phones. Here's what Jesus teaches. He says, well, before you hear, let me just say this. So the disciples are having this conversation, and they, they are, are quoting Jewish law, and they're, they're having this philosophical conversation with Jesus. They're walking on a road. They say, Jesus, listen, suppose that um, a husband dies, and his brother takes up the responsibility of marrying his, his widow uh, and that, that was kind of a common Jewish custom. If you were the older brother and you had a wife and you died, your younger brother would then marry the wife to make sure she was taken care of and the family was taken care of. She says, suppose the younger brother marries this wife, then he dies, and the youngest brother marries the wife, and then he dies. This woman has now had three husbands who are three brothers, right? Okay? 
They say, philosophically, when they get to heaven, in the resurrection, whose wife will this woman be? They just want to know, ontologically, how do we make sense of this marriage given three husbands? And this is Jesus' response in verse 30. In the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. In other words, when the resurrection happens, no one is even going to think about the categories of marriage. Everyone's single, right? When it comes to heaven, when it comes to the eternal perspective and the resurrection, here's the big idea. Everyone, when they die, they're going to be single again. Everyone, when they die, they're going to be single again. Now, some of us in here might go, but wait, wait, wait. So you're saying if I get married, when we go to heaven, like that won't be my spouse? Will we not remember each other? That seems very sad, right? And my kids, when they not remember me, like they get to heaven and they're like, oh, you, I feel like maybe I used to run into your arms at some point, but no, no, never more, right? No, okay. So what's going to happen to all these familial relationships? Listen, I think probably they'll all be there. But, but here, here's what I, I want you to keep in mind. In, in light of the glory of who Jesus is, no one's going to be thinking about their marital status, right? We're going to be pursuing Jesus as individuals and worshiping him as individuals. And this functional, relational status of married versus divorced versus widow versus seen, that's, that's not going to matter anymore, right? It's not a feature of our identity when we get to heaven because we're going to be perfected beings before a holy God, so marriage, in a sense, goes away when we get to heaven and we're all single again. Single is the eternal perspective, right? I just want you to keep that in mind. Second text I want you to look at here is in 1 Corinthians 7. So if you, have your, if you want to, you can swipe on over, or you can flip on over. 1 Corinthians 7, 8. Someone is writing to Paul in the Corinthian church. And they say, hey, Paul, uh, you know, you're a single homie. Can you just, like, tell us about marriage and, like, that stuff? And Paul has this really interesting, sharp take on marriage. I want you to just think about this, right? This is a guy who's planning churches, super influential, apostle, kind of this kind of thing. And here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, 8. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. Keep in mind, there are these women who are maybe in their 20s, their husbands die, they're now young widows, they still got sexual urges, and they're like, you know, like, I want to have sex, should we get married? Like, what, sh- what should we do? And Paul's like, hey, here's my advice, if you can help it, young widows and single people, here's my advice, it's good to remain single. And Paul goes on, if you keep reading in that, he says, for these reasons, um, when you're single, you're Free time, your free thought life is spent thinking about the kingdom of God and the advancing of the kingdom of God and disciple making and small group life and worship. You're thinking about all the ways you can funnel the ministry of the kingdom of God on earth. That's what your free time is spent. And that's really noble and holy and righteous, right? When you're married, at least a part of your free space of thinking is completely um, consumed with your family life, you're like, okay, man, I really need to go like, talk to that person at work about Jesus. Oh, it's my wife on the phone. Okay, wait, oh, one of my kids just pooped. All, oh, she sent me a picture. Cool, awesome. Well, I got to clean that up when we get home, and oh, man, we're going to have those things. We got to take you know, shots and soccer practice. And Wait, what was I doing? What was I doing? I mean, it's, oh, sharing the 
gospel with that person, right? You're just this divided person. And so Paul says in light of that, in light of the division, the natural division that you need to have when you're, when you're balancing your spiritual responsibilities and your familial responsibilities, which have a little bit of overlap there, is part of the thing he's saying is that's going to be a, that's going to be a reality for married folks. So he prefers that people would remain single. Singleness is a good thing. That's what Paul's saying. Singleness is a good thing. For Paul, it's preferable. For the New Testament, it may not be preferable, but for Paul, it's a preferable thing. Now, Jesus is single his whole life, so is Paul. Everyone, when they die, will be single again. Paul says it's good to be single. This is what the Bible says about singleness. The Bible paints a fairly positive picture about singlehood. So my, my question comes back in, why is it Christians, and especially church community, tends to paint singleness in such negative connotation? And I, and I, think, it's, I think it's for this reason. When you're dealing with two concepts, philosophically, you've got singleness and you've got married, you have to define them um, in relationship to one another. And in order to do that, you have to pick one of them that's more important, more primary, and you have to define the other one in light of the primary one. And for years and years and years, for a lot of sociological reasons, um, for, for a lot of political reasons, for a lot of very good reasons, these aren't bad things, the church has chosen to define marriage as being primary and therefore define singleness in light of marriage, right? So marriage is on a pedestal, so what do we do with singlehood? Okay, well, we can maybe redeem it. We'll go, okay, what's that, what's that sermon going to be on singleness? Um, what if singleness is a gift? Yeah, okay, there we go. And so God gives the gift of singleness, yeah, and so that's why there's eunuchs. Okay, cool. So, so singleness is this gift, and we'll talk about it. We'll like celebrate people who are single because they can go be missionaries. Yeah, and that's how the church largely talks about that because marriage is the thing that's primary, and everybody in the audience knows it. Like the people that are married, they get all the good positions. The people that are single, they're like, well, I'm not sure because, you know, you're single. And if you were married, maybe I could give you, uh, you know, some consideration, right? But so, so in light of everything the Bible says about singleness, which is a lot and substantial, right? What if, what if we said, let's make singleness the priority? And what if we defined marriage in light of singleness? After all, Jesus was single all of his life. Paul was single, okay? Paul said singleness is good. All of us are going to be single, all of us experience singlehood. Why would we therefore make marriage such a priority? How about instead, we think of marriage as a good thing, but we let singleness be the priority and define marriage in light of singleness. Guys, in this series, that's what I want to do. And I want to invite you for the remainder of our time today and the rest of the series to think about singleness as being the ideal and marriage being a spinoff of singleness. Okay? And here's what I mean. Here's some definitions I want us to work with. The first one is this, singleness. And you have it in your bulletins, you can fill in the blank. Singleness, I want to define it as this, as the universal, common to all lifestyle for Christians. Singleness is the universal, common to all lifestyle for Christians. It applies to all Christians, right? It's universal, everybody experiences it. Because it's universal, it's got primacy. It's the more important, pressing thing to think through, right? You, so, so just, just, as a contrast here, uh, you know, uh, Christian pastors, when people want to get married, they'll do, often do premarital counseling. You guys know about this? I mean, Natalie and I do premarital counseling all the time, right? You ever hear anybody that does pre-single counseling or singleness counseling? Someone comes up like, hey, pastor, I'm thinking about a life of singleness. Um, 
do you think you can meet with me over an eight-week period and just talk to me about what I need to prepare for to be a single adult in America? No, you never have that. You want to know why? No one has to train to be single, right? It's innate. It's universal. It's common to everybody. The thing that seems to be just a little bit funky is the idea of these two single people who for some reason are like, I want to give up singlehood and enter into this like marriage thing. And it's going to be so uh, challenging and difficult and against the grain. I need counseling before I jump in, right? That should be a tip off that singleness biblically is the priority and we have to understand marriage in light of that. And so in light of that contrast there, let me give you a definition of marriage. And again, I'm a fan of marriage. I'm married, okay? I'm not trying to say marriage is terrible, and if you get married, you're a horrible person sinning. I don't want to play that game anymore. I don't think the Bible speaks in those terms. I think the Bible says this, though. Marriage, then, if singleness is the universal, common to all lifestyle for all Christians, marriage is the unique, uncommon to all lifestyle for single Christians who wish to enter into radical community. Marriage is the unique, uncommon to all lifestyle for single Christians who wish to enter into radical community. Okay? So let's talk about that a little bit. How then can we understand this? Because the thing I like about these definitions is number one, I think they're biblical. Number two, I think they're theologically consistent. Number three, I think they fit church history and the way we see things presented. But number four, I think there's an incredible amount of fairness and even ground between the two categories, okay? Oftentimes, again, the problem is we say marriage has the upper ground, so singleness is always groveling, okay? I don't want to have singleness have the upper ground and marriage groveling. I think by defining singleness first and defining marriage in light of singleness, you create incredibly even ground. Think about the diagnostic chart uh, that would work something like this, okay? You're in a, let's just say you're life group leaders, right? All of you are life group leaders because our ministry is just exploding, Right? And so someone is in your life group, and they come to you, and they say, hey, listen, I'm a single adult. I don't know if you know that. I just feel like I need to confess that to you, right? And you're like, okay, tell me more. And you go, okay. The person says, I'm a single adult, and what I really need right now is I need community. See, in our ministry, we believe, and if you were here last week, we talked about it. In our ministry, we believe there's, a, there's an amazing thing that happens when you move from the chair to the couch, Right? The chair to the couch is the move from being an individualistic consumer who's like, me and Jesus and that's all, to now having to go over to the couch and sit down and be in community. Right, Community always begins in the living room on the couch where you're having to negotiate the couch situation and you're going to have to open up to other people. Right, That's the first step of community. And so this person, this single person comes to you and says, hey, I want to move from the chair to the couch. You go, good. Every individual needs community. Community is God's antidote to the problem of isolation, right? And so now as a single person, what I need most is community, so I'm going into a life group. You're, you're in a life group, you go, hey, this is great. This is what you need as a single person, okay? Now suppose that same single person comes to you and says, I love our life group, it's great, but I need a little more community, then you would have the same conversation with them. Again, it's on even ground. Hey, the next step for you is from the couch to the table. In our ministry, when you move from the couch, life group, to the table, which is a discipleship group, you're now moving into a little bit more intimate, more accountability, uh, accountability, a small group situation. Generally, our discipleship groups are much smaller, one on three, one on four, and there's a lot of honesty that goes on there. But still, this is the move. I'm a single adult who needs community. I'm going to step into some community, right? That's how that works. Well, now suppose this person comes to you and says, hey, I'm a single adult, and, and I want to try something radical, okay? Me and this other single adult, 
we want to move from wherever we are now to the most intimate, radical, crazy, like just extreme Navy SEALs version of community that's out there. It's called marriage. That's in the bed, right? It's not the couch where you can sit and write. See, I, we'll just get real honest with you because I'm married and you guys may be married one day or maybe you'll be single or you know married people and you're going to have to like mentor them, right? Even as a single adult, right? You're going to have to pour wisdom in their life, right? So there's nothing to be hidden in the bed, right? Uh, there's, be, there's, there's nothing to be hidden uh, in marriage, okay? Um, marriage is a move towards complete, stripped-down authenticity, uh, authenticity. On the couch, you can hide things, right? Someone's like, how do you feel today? You're like, I'm fine. They go, okay, and they move to the next person. You get to the table in your discipleship group. You're like, hey, um, you know, I'm, I'm fine this week. And they're like, no, you're not. We can tell. Tell us what's going on. You're like, okay, I'll tell you what's going on. But you only tell a little bit. You get into, like, the bed, right? You got your boxers on, fellas, and the, the ladies got their PJs on, which basically say, stay away from me. I'm going to sleep now, right? <laughs> you do that. There's no hiding things, okay? If you ate a lot of beans, right, at Chipotle, you were like, should I have the beans? Get them, right? You, you pass them up and you sit down, you've got a little gas action going on right there. There's no hiding that. See, if you're in the couch, and I don't mean to be crude, I'm just being honest here with you. If you're on the couch and you've got some gas action going on, you're like, excuse me, uh, I need to go to the bathroom to pee. That's definitely what I'm doing, right? And you go to the bathroom, right? You come back to the couch, you're like, suckers, no one knows what's going on in my internal system, right? If you're at the table, still, you can get up and go to the bathroom. When you're in the bedroom, you share a bathroom, right? There's no, there's, there's no pretense there, right? Marriage is extreme, radical community. But here's what I want you to understand. Marriage is community, just like a discipleship group is community, just like a life group is community. And there's really uh, no difference between singleness and marriage other than when you get married, you're saying, I'm a single adult before God who's in this extreme form of community. I want community all the time. I don't want community just part of the time. I want all the time in this really extreme relationship. If you define singleness first, and you make marriage something you define in light of singleness, it, it's level. You see that there are trade-offs here, that there are, that there are strengths and weaknesses to both things, and it, it now becomes not a matter of social uh, ineptitude. Marriage doesn't become a matter of so social ineptitude. Marriage doesn't become a matter of physical beauty. Marriage doesn't become a matter of romance. Marriage just becomes a matter of community. How deep of community do you want? And if you want the deepest form of community, you enter into marriage. It's very functional. Now, this statistic is skewed I'm about to give you because of a number of uh, cultural factors, but are you aware that arranged marriages globally over time are 90%, 90% uh, of them stay together, okay? So as opposed to the common 50% of marriages get divorced. Arranged marriages. Now, when you factor out like people who have child brides and some of the like abuse that goes on, it's still somewhere in like north of the 70, 75%. And what, what does this indicate, this statistic? It indicates when people go, Marriage is this arrangement where we get together and we are in this deep form of community and we have children and we build up wealth and we move forward, right? When you think about it in those terms, when you strip it of all the like, marriage was the fulfillment of my life and there's romance and Valentine's Day, right? When you strip it of all that and you make it just something functional about community, it makes total sense why those are so successful over and over again. Because people who are in functional community relationships, who are just single adults experiencing radical community, there's no expectation of this has to blow my mind and stars and banners and all this stuff, right? It's just we wake up, we move forward, we're in community, that's how we do life. Singleness, it's not a bad thing. 
Singleness is a really good thing. In fact, Paul says, it's a really, really good thing, and I would be hesitant to get into this thing called marriage because it's extreme community, and it can divide you from the kingdom. But if you so desire, then that's great, and you can get into marriage. And we'll talk about marriage more next week. But in light of these two definitions, this definition here, I want us to make three application points, and I want to do some responding. And here they are. Three application points. Because here's what the shift's going to mean, and I hope we all make this shift. Application point. Number one, singleness is not a problem that gets solved by marriage. If it's true that singleness is the universal, common-to-all lifestyle of a disciple, then singleness is not a problem. And it's not a problem that gets solved by marriage. Because we all know people who are single, and they rushed into a marriage, and it didn't work. And it flamed out. And then on the other side of that, they feel even more broken and gross and icky. Marriage is never going to solve your problems. Marriage is only going to create more problems. Why? Because it's extreme, radical community with built-in accountability. If you got problems and you go into marriage, they're going to be exposed. You're not, you're not hiding from those. Those are getting a, a, a giant airplane light shown on them, right? And so singleness is not a problem, biblically. It's not a problem that gets solved by marriage. Singleness is a great thing. It's a great thing. Number two, the single life can be a satisfying life in Christ and in community. The single life can be a satisfying life in Christ and in community. Look at Jesus. Look at Paul. Look at Mother Teresa. Look at tons of people. Look at all the popes. Okay, now some of the popes were bad, okay? But look at the popes, right? Like, current pope seems to be a pretty cool guy, single. Look at Catholic priests. Now, again, some of them are bad, right? But for the most part, the priest system is built on this idea that as a single adult, you can lead more effectively with the church as your, your main focus. That's how that works. Single life can be a satisfying life in Christ. So if you're here today and you're thinking, no, I'm only going to be married, I'm only going to be satisfied if I'm married, that's just not a biblical notion. I just want you to just be aware of that today before you get going. Finally, the last application point is this. Moving from singleness to marriage requires a trade-off. Moving from singleness to marriage requires a trade-off, okay? One is not preferable to the other. I, uh, I was talking with Alec about this this week, and one of the phrases that, that gets thrown up sometimes, and maybe if you grew up in church, you heard this, uh, you know, a single person comes in and goes, hey, guess what? We're getting married, right? Like, hey, me and so-and-so are getting married, and someone's going to go, oh, what a blessing, marriage. It's such a blessing, as if singleness is like a curse, right? Oh, finally, the curse has been broken, right? You kissed the prince and everybody woke up, right? Like, that's how we, we tend to find it. No, there's a trade-off there. And remember, as a single adult, you have, like, all of this time, all of this come allegedly. You have all of this stuff that's going on. You, you have the world at your fingertips. You can come and you, you can be part of mission trips, all these things, right? When you get, when you get married, all that gets constrained. And so you got to know, when I'm getting married, ooh, am I willing to give up my freedom here? In a good way, for Jesus, am I willing to give up my freedom? I get married, um, man, oh, thank you, is this me? Oh, my bad, sorry, y'all, my bad. Now I'm going Stephen Furtick, here we go, all right. So I feel like maybe I should just talk like this, right? No, shout out to Stephen Furtick, I love you. Some of you should Google Stephen Furtick right now. Um, there's a trade-off there. So 
when you get married, there are some things that are much, much better about being married. And there are some things that are much, much worse about being married. And you know when you get married, you're willing to buy into both the good and the bad. That's why when you get married and you say your vows, you say for better or for worse. This is not one of those things where you're like, for better <laughs> or for worse. This is going to be better. Everyone knows that. All those single people are suckers. <laughs> and you run off, right? No, there's none of that. No, there is better and there is worse. And in singleness, there is better and there is worse, right? It's true. But you've got to just figure out as a believer, which arrangement am I comfortable with before Jesus? And Jesus might tell you, be single. And you go, great. That's wonderful. I'll be in a life group. I'll be in a discipleship group. I'll be involved in ministry. I'll do one-on-one. I'll have tons of friends. I'll have tons of community. Life will be good. It'll be satisfying. It'll be great. Or Jesus says, get married. And you go, awesome. Okay. There'll be some hardships. There'll be some things that are really frustrating, but it'll be radical community. It'll refine my character. I'll have to give up some things about my single life. But before Jesus, it'll be great. Both of them are ideal biblical options. Okay. And if there's one thing I want you to embrace here today, it's this, that if God calls you to a life of singleness, that is a wonderful blessing. And if God calls you to marriage, it's a wonderful blessing. On that note, I want to invite us to uh, respond. And here's the way we respond around here. I want to invite you to assume a posture of worship. We're going to dim the lights a little bit. The band's going to sing a song. And I want to invite you just to kind of reflect on what you've heard today. If you're someone who's here today and you need prayer, um, our staff is going to be surrounding the aisle space here. You can come find one of us. Britt is right here. Alec is right there in the Orlando Magic hat. Kennedy is back there in the red shirt. Uh, DB is right there. David Branch is right there in the uh, uh, Atlanta Braves hat. And I'm going to stand right over here by the doors. And so if you have any...